In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We enter into the season of Epiphany, an awakening, uh, illumination of minds and hearts, a shining of the light in the darkness. It illumines our understanding of who Jesus is. It lets us know who's who and what's what. Today in our Epiphany season, we see more clearly who our Savior is and how he has come to make us right with God. Out of the desert comes our old friend John the Baptizer. He looks like a wild man. He's wearing his camel hair tunic. He's got on the accoutrement, I guess you could say, of the... What are those guys called? Prophets. Thank you. (laughs) Drew a blank on that. Big leather belt around the middle. And of course, we know John had probably a big bushy beard and he'd been eating honey and wild locusts out in the wilderness. And so I like to imagine that he's got some junk stuck to his beard, probably a couple legs sticking there and other things like that. (laughs) And he comes and he's preaching about the one who is to come. He's preparing the way. Until the time that John arrives on the scene and he proclaims that Jesus is coming, the one whose sandals he's not fit to untie. We don't know a whole lot about what's happened to Jesus. We know the Christmas story. We know the nativity. We know the angels and the shepherds. And then we know that persecution was coming because there could only be one king of Israel, of the Jews. And so Mary and Joseph packed up the baby and they ran off to Egypt for a while. And then they come back and the wise men show up. And then radio silence for 12 years. We don't know what's happened here. And then all of a sudden, 12-year-old Jesus shows up. He's teaching in the synagogue, astonishing everyone with his knowledge. Of course, Mary and Joseph thought that he was playing with the other kids as they traveled, and they get halfway down the road, and they realize Jesus isn't there. They come running back, and they find him, and they're upset with him. And he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And then we go radio silent again for another few years. We don't know what's happened. Here he is now, 30-ish. We assume he's been working with Joseph in the woodshop. It's believed that uh, Joseph Inc. probably made farming implements, plows and whatnots. And so there might be some plows out there rusting away somewhere with Jesus's hand on it. But we don't know. Now all of a sudden comes John the baptizer. Things are getting heated up. He's out there proclaiming that one is coming. He's not fit to tie or untie his sandals. That's the job of the lowest servant in the house, is to untie the sandals of the master, to wash his feet when he comes in off the road. And John the baptizer says, I'm not good enough to be that guy with the one who's coming. And there John is baptizing with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That change of heart that only God can provide, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Now you may be scratching your heads and wondering, why did Jesus come to be baptized when he doesn't have anything to repent of and he has no sins that need to be forgiven? First things first. We confess that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. And that's what John points out in the Matthew telling of our text. He says, basically, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to be baptized by me? What's going on, Jesus? 
And Jesus said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. He is keeping the law perfectly because we cannot. The one who comes that we should always serve turns around and pulls a fast one on us over and over again, and he demands that he serves us. Could you imagine going to the White House and the President of the United States says, may I get you something to drink? Let me massage your feet for you. You seem to have been on your feet for a long time. No matter who the President is, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? And yet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes and serves in such simple ways. He's the servant who suffers for us so that one day we might rule with him. We call this Christ's state of humiliation. He lowered himself. He subjugated himself to you. He made himself lowly for your salvation. So Jesus is serving us as he's baptized with our baptism. He's washed for our sins. He stands in the water of your sin, and he sanctifies it. There he is with his presence, as the word is attached to the water for your salvation. John pauses, and he has a moment where he realizes this is the chosen one of God, the righteous one who is to come, sinless. John realizes how truly separated we are from God. And he says, why am I baptizing you when I need you to wash me? But Jesus will have none of that. For when Jesus became one of us, he separated the division between us and God. He destroyed that separation. If we are to be with him in heaven, then he declares that he must be with us here on earth. And if he is with us here on earth, he is with us in our sin as well as in our good works. You see, when we sin, we drag the name of Christ into it with us. We drag his name through the mud as he is with us. We live in a day and age where we fear germs. Some of us won't even drink from the same cup this morning because we're afraid of cooties. But consider this. Consider what it would be like to get into a bathtub after the whole town has been in it. The football players, the basketball team, just dirty, stinky kids in general, the baby with full diaper. The whole town has taken a bath in this water, and now it's your turn. Jesus stands in the filth of our sins not just your sins, but the sins of the whole world. The sins of the thief, the prostitute, the drunk, the wife beater, the adulterer, the cheat, the thief, I already said thief, the gossip, the liar, the glutton. You name the sin, and Jesus stands in the midst of it for you. Jesus goes straight in, and he makes it a holy water 
clean and pure, righteous beyond all understanding. In this, he who knew no sin became sin, so that you might be the very righteousness of Christ. In baptism, Jesus exchanges your sins for his righteousness. He communicates his death and resurrection where there is only death that you bring. And he promises that you too shall be raised from the dead on the last day because you were washed with him and he was washed with you. All of our sin, all of our wretchedness, all of our wrongs were endured by him so that we would not have to endure them eternally. As Jesus rose out of the water of our sin, having made it clean, a dove comes down from heaven and lands on Jesus, and the clouds part, and a voice rings out, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God recreates in the same way that he created us. The Father is there, willing for it to be done. The Word speaks all things into being, and the Spirit hovers over the deep. We read about that in our Old Testament text. So it is here again that the Father is pleased with the work of the Son. The Word made flesh, as John puts it in John 1. And the Holy Spirit there, in the form of a dove, hovering over the waters of creation and recreation. In the creation, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. But what's created today in baptism? He creates Christians as he takes hearts that are formless and void. That's in the Old Testament lesson, that formless and void. I'll teach you your Hebrew for the, word, for the day. Tohu vabohu. That's always a great phrase. Tohu vabohu. Formless and void. And so it is with our hearts before God. And yet he comes and fills the void with his own presence and with all of his good things for us. In our baptism, our Father looks down from heaven in love and he says, You, you are my child in whom I am well pleased for the sake of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 tells us, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put Christ on. You are coated with Christ himself through the waters of baptism. His righteousness. The judgment of God looks for you, and he doesn't see you for who you are or what you do, but he sees you for who Christ is and what he has done for you. He is pleased with you because he is pleased with Jesus, and you have on your Jesus coat. As I began the service, I was futzing around with this sign. You're probably thinking, why did we call this idiot? It started out in a high place, but that just wouldn't do. It was too far, you couldn't reach it. And so it came to a little lower place. And there we were met with it, but we still couldn't quite reach it. And finally, the word came to us and dwelt among us and is with us in your midst. Don't worship the sign, by the way, it's just a sign. So it is with God. He didn't stand off from a distance and give us decrees. Instead, he came into our existence and he came to be with us. He got into our boat. Even better, he got into our bathtub. 
Jesus' baptism teaches us to treasure our own baptism. Ours is that greater baptism which John proclaimed, the baptism of Jesus. He said, one will come who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are given faith in your baptism so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is truly your Savior. Jesus commanded this to be so. The end of Matthew, he tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. How are disciples made? Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is not a work of man, but a work of God himself. He uses simple men and simple hands and simple water. But it is the word of God that makes it an everlasting bath of regeneration, a washing. To be baptized in the name of the triune God is to have the heavens open to you, to have the Father's voice declare to you that you are his beloved child, to have the Holy Spirit descend on you, to have Jesus, the sinless Son of God, stand in your midst, in your water, in your filth, in your sin, and declare that he is your brother and your Savior. And God can no longer judge you for his sake. Why was Jesus baptized? For you. For your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace which passes all understanding keep and guard your hearts and minds to life everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We enter into the season of epiphany, an awakening, uh, illumination of minds and hearts, a shining of the light in the darkness. It illumines our understanding of who Jesus is. It lets us know who's who and what's what. Today in our epiphany season, we see more clearly who our Savior is and how he has come to make us right with God. Out of the desert comes our old friend John the Baptizer. He looks like a wild man. He's wearing his camel hair tunic. He's got on the accoutrement, I guess you could say, of the, what are those guys called? Prophets, thank you. <laughs> Drew a blank on that. Big leather belt around the middle. And of course, we know John had a, probably a big bushy beard and he'd been eating honey and wild locusts out in the wilderness. And so I just like to imagine that he's got some junk stuck to his beard, probably a couple legs sticking there and other things like that. <laughs> and he comes and he's preaching about the one who is to come. He's preparing the way. Until the time that John arrives on the scene and he proclaims that Jesus is coming, the one whose sandals he's not fit to untie. We don't know a whole lot about what's happened to Jesus. We know the Christmas story. We know the nativity. We know the angels and the shepherds. And then we know that persecution was coming because there could only one, be one king of Israel, of the Jews. And so Mary and Joseph packed up the baby and they ran off to Egypt for a while. And then they come back and the wise men show up. And then radio silence for 12 years. We don't know what's happened here. And then all of a sudden, 12-year-old Jesus shows up. He's teaching in the synagogue, astonishing everyone with his knowledge. 
Of course, Mary and Joseph thought that he was playing with the other kids as they traveled and they get halfway down the road and they realize Jesus isn't there. They come running back and they find him and they're upset with him. And he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And then we go radio silent again for another few years. We don't know what's happened. Here he is now, 30-ish. We assume he's been working with Joseph in the wood shop. It's believed that uh, Joseph Inc. probably made farming implements, plows and whatnots. And so there might be some plows out there rusting away somewhere with Jesus's hand on it. But we don't know. Now all of a sudden comes John the baptizer. Things are getting heated up. He's out there proclaiming that one is coming. He's not fit to tie or untie his sandals. That's the job of the lowest servant in the house, is to untie the sandals of the master, to wash his feet when he comes in off the road. And John the baptizer says, I'm not good enough to be that guy with the one who's coming. And there John is baptizing with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That change of heart that only God can provide, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Now you may be scratching your heads and wondering, why did Jesus come to be baptized when he doesn't have anything to repent of and he has no sins that need to be forgiven? First things first. We confess that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. And that's what John points out in the Matthew telling of our text. He says, basically, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to be baptized by me? What's going on, Jesus? And Jesus said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. He is keeping the law perfectly because we cannot. The one who comes that we should always serve turns around and pulls a fast one on us over and over again, and he demands that he serves us. Could you imagine going to the White House and the President of the United States says, may I get you something to drink? Let me massage your feet for you. You seem to have been on your feet for a long time. No matter who the President is, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? And yet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes and serves in such simple ways. He's the servant who suffers for us so that one day we might rule with him. We call this Christ's state of humiliation. He lowered himself. He subjugated himself to you. He made himself lowly for your salvation. So Jesus is serving us as he's baptized with our baptism. He's washed for our sins. He stands in the water of your sin and he sanctifies it. There he is with his presence as the word is attached to the water for your salvation. John pauses and he has a moment where he realizes this is the chosen one of God, the righteous one who is to come sinless. John realizes how truly separated we are from God. And he says, 
why am I baptizing you when I need you to wash me? But Jesus will have none of that. For when Jesus became one of us, he separated the division between us and God. He destroyed that separation. If we are to be with him in heaven, then he declares that he must be with us here on earth. And if he is with us here on earth, he is with us in our sin as well as in our good works. You see, when we sin, we drag the name of Christ into it with us. We drag his name through the mud as he is with us. We live in a day and age where we fear germs. Some of us won't even drink from the same cup this morning because we're afraid of cooties. But consider this. Consider what it would be like to get into a bathtub after the whole town has been in it. The football players, the basketball team, just dirty, stinky kids in general, the baby with full diaper. The whole town has taken a bath in this water, and now it's your turn. Jesus stands in the filth of our sins. Not just your sins, but the sins of the whole world. The sins of the thief, the prostitute, the drunk, the wife beater, the adulterer, the cheat, the thief. I already said thief. The gossip, the liar, the glutton. You name the sin, and Jesus stands in the midst of it for you. Jesus goes straight in, and he makes it a holy water clean and pure, righteous beyond all understanding. In this, he who knew no sin became sin, so that you might be the very righteousness of Christ. In baptism, Jesus exchanges your sins for his righteousness. He communicates his death and resurrection where there is only death that you bring and he promises that you too shall be raised from the dead on the last day because you were washed with him and he was washed with you. All of our sin, all of our wretchedness, all of our wrongs were endured by him so that we would not have to endure them eternally. As Jesus rose out of the water of our sin, having made it clean, a dove comes down from heaven and lands on Jesus. And the clouds part, and a voice rings out, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God recreates in the same way that he created us. The Father is there, willing for it to be done. The Word speaks all things into being, and the Spirit hovers over the deep. We read about that in our Old Testament text. So it is here again that the Father is pleased with the work of the Son. The Word made flesh, as John puts it in John 1. And the Holy Spirit there, in the form of a dove, hovering over the waters of creation and recreation. In the creation, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. But what's created today in baptism? He creates Christians. As he takes hearts that are formless and void. That's in the Old Testament lesson, that formless and void. I'll teach you your Hebrew for the, word, for the day. Tohu vabohu. That's always a great phrase. Tohu vabohu. Formless and void. 
And so it is with our hearts before God. And yet he comes and fills the void with his own presence and with all of his good things for us. In our baptism, our Father looks down from heaven in love and he says, You, you are my child in whom I am well pleased for the sake of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 tells us, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put Christ on. You are coated with Christ himself through the waters of baptism. His righteousness. The judgment of God looks for you. And he doesn't see you for who you are or what you do. But he sees you for who Christ is and what he has done for you. He is pleased with you. Because he is pleased with Jesus. And you have on your Jesus coat. As I began the service, I was futzing around with this sign. You're probably thinking, why did we call this idiot? It started out in a high place, but that just wouldn't do. It was too far, you couldn't reach it. And so it came to a little lower place. And there we were met with it, but we still couldn't quite reach it. And finally, the word came to us and dwelt among us and is with us in your midst. Don't worship the sign, by the way. It's just a sign. So it is with God. He didn't stand off from a distance and give us decrees. Instead, he came into our existence and he came to be with us. He got into our boat. Even better, he got into our bathtub. Jesus' baptism teaches us to treasure our own baptism. Ours is that greater baptism which John proclaimed, the baptism of Jesus. He said, one will come who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are given faith in your baptism so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is truly your Savior. Jesus commanded this to be so. The end of Matthew, he tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. How are disciples made? Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is not a work of man, but a work of God himself. He uses simple men and simple hands and simple water. But it is the word of God that makes it an everlasting bath of regeneration, a washing. To be baptized in the name of the triune God is to have the heavens open to you, to have the Father's voice declare to you that you are his beloved child, to have the Holy Spirit descend on you, to have Jesus, the sinless Son of God, stand in your midst, in your water, in your filth, in your sin, and declare that he is your brother and your Savior. And God can no longer judge you for his sake. Why was Jesus baptized? For you. For your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace which passes all understanding keep and guard your hearts and minds to life everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.